Everybody and welcome to the 284th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that haunts your dreams of a secure financial future for your tiny cardboard children. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. James, you had a story you wanted to share with me here. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast in our extensive efforts to battle parking lot scoundrels of the highest order. We were down at the beaches today. Doing a little surf skating. My daughter was riding, learning to ride her bike. Wife was on her rollerblades. And as we were setting up at the side of the car, two cars down from this, us, there's uh, an empty slot. And this guy whips in real fast in his SUV. And like you hear the crumple. And he scrapes along the side of the car that he's parking beside. So <laughs> both us and another family across from us in the parking lot look up at the sound and walk over to take a look. And sure enough, he's put a significant series of marks on the side of the car. I wouldn't call it major damage, but it's at least, let's call it five to a hundred thousand, five hundred to a thousand dollars worth of damage. That's okay. Dude, dude gets out of the car. We look at him and we're like, you're going to leave a note about that. Right. And he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, goes over, like starts trying to like rub it off. And he goes, nah, I'm not doing that. And just like walks away. <laughs> So you just watch some guy basically do a hit and run, except did he leave his car parked next to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't try to go anywhere. So the lady from the the family that uh, was across the way that saw this all go down with us whips her pen and paper out and writes down her phone number and writes down the guy's license plate and puts it under the girl's windshield wiper. Guy comes back from across the park where he strode off to with his kids in tow, because apparently he was picking them up from a camp or something. And we're like, you are going to leave a note for this poor lady whose car you just hit, right? He's like, this is nothing. She better have bumper to bumper on her lease like I do, and then she wouldn't have to worry about it. (laughs) All right. And then I go, I'm like, my man, we're going to report you if you try to leave. Like, why even bother? And he goes, what do you do for a living? And my, my wife's like, excuse me? And he's like, yeah. he's like, I'd really like to know. And I'm like, I'm I'm sure you would, but it's not pertinent to the conversation at hand. I'm a go-go go-go dancer. What's it to you? Like, it was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. So we go over to the the beaches. There's this huge set of volleyball courts, and we, we noticed that when the young lady had gotten out of her car like ten minutes prior. She was carrying volleyball gear, so we figured she'd be over there somewhere, but we couldn't find her. 
So we decide that we're going to come back. We're going to you know, make sure we leave our own note because I had pictures on my phone of the damage not only to her car, but to his car so that the two are connected, right? And, uh, yeah. and he had also claimed that uh, the person beside him had, quote, quote unquote, parked like an idiot. Meanwhile, I've got a picture of her being completely in her stall and him being completely not in his stall when he finished moving. Mm-hmm. So when we get back, the car of the young lady who was hit is still there. The other family's gone. He's gone. But so was the note that the first family mm-hmm. left on her dash. So not yeah. so this guy went ahead and stole the note, crumpled it up, and threw it away somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so we so yeah. we had to leave a second note. Well, so did you, you left with your note on that woman's car? Yes, we did. The oh, that's good. And then spent most of the time that we were going through our exercise routine on the boardwalk talking about how you know you try to understand how these people are not willing to wear masks how they think their their individual freedom of not having a mask on outweighs their responsibility to the community and you have trouble picturing what these people are actually like and i was like <laughs> for sure this guy doesn't wear a mask and, and in fact he went into a children's camp without a mask on yeah uh yeah that's uh that's pretty gross people people sure do suck i don't think i've ever had anything i've never seen anything quite that severe play out that's uh kind of staggering yeah i yeah i would have been tempted and i I know i shouldn't do this but i would have been tempted in the moment to call the police the problem is that big city police as i'm sure you're aware will typically typically have some limit by which you're you have to call them i think it's like two thousand dollars or something in toronto you have to call them and you have to stay on the scene but this wasn't two thousand dollars worth of damage so they may have waved it off and told them to go to traffic court now him not leaving his insurance information he might still have a leaving scene of the accident problem Mm -hmm. and so there might be somewhere to go with that but presumably you know i'm assuming that this young lady is going to text us when she gets the note some point today or tomorrow and we'll be following up on that yeah i mean you gotta hope you want to know what the conclusion of this is <laughs> i'm i would love nothing more than to show up in small claims court to support the person that got hit yeah, i i, I, I will take that. a day off to get this guy <laughs> no problem this is this is worth my time off just to see this person for sure to, to see him, like, just because I know he'll pull some shenanigans in court, like, try to say it was us that hit the car. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he didn't see us take the pictures before he got out of his car, so he doesn't know that I have them. Uh, it would just yeah, be amazing. The closest I had was uh, when I was a teenager, I had somebody hit my car, drive through a red light and hit my car. Uh, into You know, totaled my car, and hers was in bad shape. Uh, everyone was okay. Uh, no one got hurt, but all the cars were totaled at the scene. And you know, I was like 17. And as we were trying to straighten everything out, uh, the police ended up taking that woman away in handcuffs because she had been driving with an expired license and had multiple tickets or something like that. So that was pretty wild for 17-year-old me, me to watch play out. Uh, yeah. Oof. All right. Uh, all right. So Magic what do we got on the agenda this week? Well, figured we'd keep it light and airy this week uh, with four segments. Segment one are tech movers. We'll talk about the car. Or no, segment one is not 
Hot Paper Movers. Segment one is our MTGO metagame we can review. We changed that. I can't believe that after like a year of doing it this way, I still set it the reverse. Uh, top MTGO metagame we can review. We have two modern challenges to talk about. Segment two, our top paper movers. That's where we'll talk about the cards that have moved in most in price this week. Segment uh, with our top MTGO movers as well. Segment three, our cards to watch. James and I will run through some stuff that we like for the future. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week. Uh, we have some Innistrad spoilers. So we will take a look at what's going on over there. Uh, start start off with those. Probably more next week, I would presume. Uh, but let's start out here. The uh, MTGO challenge from the 7th. Taken down by Hammer Time. Uh, looks like they get a first in this event and a third in the other event. So some decent success for them yet again. Yeah, very consistent performer in this meta, which is, I, I think, one of the stronger metas that didn't include broken cards. I mean, you can put aside Eldrazi Winter and the Era of Hogak, but outside of that, um, you know, Modern is about as streamlined and powerful as it's ever been because they've gotten two sets of Modern Horizons cards injected now. And it, it, it's only going to get more so over time. I think one of the things people need to start thinking about when it comes to modern staples is is this card good or is it great because if your card is good it may fall off the table in the next five years like something that felt like an s tier staple two years ago may not be able to cut it when you get modern horizons three in the mix in three years yeah that's possible um the power level does keep going up and I mean, we've already seen Path of Exile dip down a little bit in terms of playability. So there's, there are no sacred cows as it would seem. The fetch lands maybe is about as sacred as you're going to see. I'm taking a look at the Path Exiles down to the 12th most played card spell in the format. And cards overall, I don't even know if it makes the top 50 now. Uh, I guess it's still 15th. But, yeah, but Prismatic I, Ending, as as we've reviewed multiple times, is now very solidly in second. Right. E- even if Path of Exile hadn't really lost that much traction, yeah, it's still the, the Prismatic Ending has clearly demonstrated that, again, there are no Sacred Gows at this point. Top five cards in the format for Modern right now are Lightning Bolt, Prismatic Ending, Engineered Explosives, Chal- Chalice of the Void, and Mystical Dispute. And all four of the first <laughs> speak volumes about the threats that fill out the top 25. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like These are just the most efficient answers to the most efficient threats. Yep. Clearly a narrative there uh, when you look at those spells. So in second place, we've got Blue Red Murktide. We've got a Shardless Footfalls deck in third and seventh. We've got Dredge making a sort of rare appearance over the last few months in fourth. Uh, in six, we've got Black Red Aggro, uh, Ragavans, Dothy Voidwalkers, that kind of thing. And then Food Deck in eighth that I thought was interesting because it's running three Finale of Devastation and two Grist, which lets them use Finale to go get Grist if they so choose. Hmm. That's kind of amazing. Because Grist counts as an insect when it's not in play, right? Yep, yep, yep. The, uh, yeah, that's not, that's a Drudge Deck and it's also like an og dredge deck i mean well i should say there's like there's basically no new cards in that from recent sets yeah it's 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 what dredge looked like in 2019 essentially uh which we really haven't seen much of at all uh i wonder like i just got lucky or if it's actually good and no one's been trying it or what It very much seems like a dredge expert who probably you know top 16s or top 32s fairly regularly 
and then every once in a while you're going to get a top eight. We haven't. We, I, I think we've seen it a total of two or three times out of the last four or five months that I can recall in the weekly top eights. But the big story in this top eight is the fifth place deck. Now we've seen Glimpse of Tomorrow decks of various stripes, but this one is the next level innovation. This one... And keep in mind, Glimpse of Tomorrow is this new MH2 card. It basically lets you shuffle all your permanents you own into your library, then you reveal that many cards from the top of your library, and you put all non-aura permanent cards revealed this way onto the battlefield, and the rest of them on the bottom of your library in any order. And it's a suspend card, so you're trying to hit it with like Violent Outburst in this deck, um, or put it on suspend early and then let it come off and do its thing. So the idea is you want to get as many tokens in play as you can, because with a bunch of tokens in play, you're going to get to flip a bunch of stuff off the top of your deck. But this one is running four Chancellor of the Forge, four triple red for a 5-5 giant. You may reveal this card from your opening hand. If you do, at the beginning of the first upkeep, put a 1-1 red goblin creature token with haste onto the battlefield. When it enters the battlefield, put... X 1-1 red goblin creature tokens with haste onto the battlefield where X is the number of creatures you control. And then they're running four fury, four goblin dark dwellers, which can also cast the glimpse of tomorrow uh, because glimpse doesn't exile itself, right? Yep. No, it doesn't. Two omnath locus of creation, four seasoned pyromancer, making more tokens Four shardless agent also lets you hit the glimpse Four Tireless Provisioner, making uh, more tokens. And four Wave Sifter, which you presumably evoke early to investigate twice and get two tokens into play. Yeah. I So I thought that we had seen uh, Chancellor before. Like, I, I don't feel like that's new tech, at least. I've, I've never seen a Chancellor deck alongside Glimpse that I can remember, but it's entirely possible I missed it somewhere. I, want, I wonder if we had it pop up while Cliff was on for those two or three weeks, because I it's don't possible. feel like this is super new. Um, but it is a very clever uh, approach because it gives you the ability to put a token in the gate and play at the start of the game, which gives you a little defense if you're really on the back foot. Um, and these decks are clearly designed to cast Glimpse more than once. You know, you're hoping to kind of glimpse into like Goblin Dark Dwellers and then immediately glimpse again with even more permanence and kind of like chain it a little bit. So Chancellor kind of doing double duty both and giving you that permanent, extra permanent out front and then also a bunch more uh, afterwards, you know, for the second glimpse is quite is quite potent. Yeah. So I hadn't seen this one before. Curious to see whether this is where the glimpse decks are headed. I've certainly been putting all my old border foil glimpses aside because they're still real cheap. They're under two or three bucks. But this deck's been popping up enough that I would be start start to consider whether you're supposed to put some of those aside. Because <laughs> they could take a while to get there, but it's probably a future... The old border foil glimpse of tomorrow is probably a future 10 or $20 card. Yeah, I, I don't think that's... It's unlikely to be like a really juicy card, uh, but I do agree that more than three dollars for the old border foils is pretty likely i mean i would have to presume that on a reasonably long time on some time frame and i don't think that long that all old border foils are worth more than three dollars all right so what do we see in this second modern challenge oh starting off with living end which we've seen has had a bit of a resurgence lately 
um, some Green Tron, Livingston in first and fourth, uh, Shardless Footfalls in fifth, and even more Green Tron rounding, rounding us out in seventh and eighth. So a pretty big week for Tron, uh, at least uh, on the eighth. Jeez. Uh, and it looks like a deck in six that you're excited about here, uh, the Black-White Stoneforge Reanimator deck, which is running the Grief Persist Unmarked Grave package. Uh, which was something that was, you know, kind of speculated on back when Grief was essentially spoiled um, and leans into that newer reanimator deck that they tried to seed in Modern Horizons 2. Yep, yep. And what else in here? Green Tron, as you said, and then Hammer Time in third, Living End, Shardless Footfalls in fifth. So three Shardless Footfalls decks across 16 top eight uh, appearances this weekend. And, yeah, I mean, Tron never gets fully knocked out of the meta. At least it hasn't for years. Um, but it had retreated late spring, early summer. Seeing three green Tron decks all in the same challenge is definitely eye-opening. Yeah, and I'm looking at these. They don't seem to do anything special. Um, or at least not, not anything just... new. I mean, Tron, <laughs> 10 mana <clears throat> still plenty special uh, I get, is it seven uh, mana it, seven mana for three lands it's yeah seven it's been years i don't think we have to consider it special anymore it's, it's just it's, it's as standard as standard gets uh yeah they don't do anything unique or I, there's nothing going on here that we haven't seen before yeah. um, and, and they're tight we, lists we, they're tough to tough to mm-hmm. break into so there's no no new new slots of note moving on over to the top paper movers of the week lots of motion uh, for a summer slowdown, and sales have definitely been down versus, say, February through May, but plenty of cards still moving. Omnath Locus of Creation is ZNR. This is just a regular copy, 750 to 10. You'll recall that I flagged it for like the third time, the foil showcase versions last week, was it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, last week. And the this is the non-foils getting a little motion. I mean... Omnath is seeing persistent play in both EDH and Modern, so no huge surprise. Relentless Dead and Crypt Breaker both up 50% this week. Relentless Dead from uh, Shadows Over Innistrad went from 10 to 15. Crypt Breaker from uh, Eldritch Moon went 4 to 6. That's Those are Innistrad hype specs, people just assuming we're getting zombies and werewolves and vampires galore since we're heading back to classic horror. Yeah, I don't... That's uh Hmm... Not like super wild about those specs, I don't think. I mean, they both seem reprintable if need be, and also where are you getting excited to use them, I guess? Relentless Dead being a $15 mythic probably precludes it being included in a commander deck. Um, Crypt Breaker, though, could certainly show up there. Yeah, I just I these are like I just I don't know what what is your your out what is your goal what what has to happen for these to have worked in your favor. I think this is just the whole hey we're getting a bunch of zombies so I should buy zombies and then other people will buy them because they will think they need to buy zombies. Yeah, I mean you if they don't get reprinted, your out is them becoming good in modern. Which in in yeah I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> best so, of luck zombie deck in modern is going to need a lot of help yeah I mean it, the overlap with dredge is significant there I'm not I mean zombies have historically been a pretty potent um, strategy uh, as far as tribes go 
Um, probably one of the closer ones to being playable in modern than you know your any random other tribe, uh, just because they've had so many years of support and so many competitive level cards. But I can't imagine that this particular Innistrad is what's going to make the difference, especially after just having had a Modern Horizons drop. Yep. Dragonlord Dramoka foils from DTK 48 to about 76, and I can confirm I've sold three of those that this week in the mid-60s to high-60s. Um, really? Yeah, I had a pile. I have 14 of them or something that I bought under $14, somewhere between 9 and $14 for the pile. That's pretty and nice. uh, they've just been sitting in the bad specs box, so happy to pull those out and make some money. <laughs> there are no bad specs, just long-term there specs. There we go. Uh, Pithy Needle, uh, moving this week, the Masterpiece drained out 125 to 225, supposedly. Not the first time we've seen something like this happen, probably won't be the last. Uh, Pithy Needle is a pretty popular card, and I think it's been seeing some reasonable play in Modern these days. Um so not not too shocking. I mean, that's you know, two hundred bucks plus for these masterpieces. That's uh, that's not chump change for a card that's pretty much relegated to the sideboard. Thirty day price average in Europe is under seventy euro, but there are only five copies left between one thirty five and two hundred. So I would say that this has been heavily targeted lately, and it's likely to be successful because there's no point of restock. Yeah, that's that's really the the rub is like it doesn't even matter if it was very obvious somebody trying to pull a fast one because if they buy a bunch, where are they coming from? Yep, yep, yep. People will probably pay for it. I see we have the Terminate um, NPR promo on here from 10 to 18. That's the full art one, if uh, the NPR promo specifically. Uh, these have been seeing pretty decent play in the... Those black, red, um, the, I'm forgetting the name of the, the new card, the uncommon, the red Delver of Secrets, essentially. Uh, right? Dragon's Rage Channeler? Yeah, I've seen play at a good amount of play in those decks, right? Isn't that where that's coming from? The black, red aggro Terminate decks? Terminate in the black, red. Let me just see if that I thought the list I th runs any copies. Hold on, now I have to go look. I thought... Um, I don't. I guess I don't see anyone in this list. Oh wait, this is a different list. Uh, no, this is this is a little different. I I, I just assumed that that's just MP, NPR copies an NPR. being on a long term drain cycle. I mean, we've called a bunch of them over time, and there's no point of restock. They're 15 years old or something. So I just can't. And Terminate's just a strong EDH card. So I just assumed that. You know, every few days somebody buys one of those on TCG Player, and then now there's none left. Yeah, I just, I mean, that's not an, un, an unreasonable read on it, of course. I was just, I see it, and I'm thinking, like, that feels like a, oh, it is, you know, it is seen a lot of playing Prosper, the, the commander who's been very popular lately. Sure. So if you're building Prosper and you want to cool look and terminate, it's one of the best choices. So I bet that's a primary driver here on top of the general attrition. Engineered Explosives, the uh, UMA Box Topper foils from 45 to 82. It's the number four card in Modern, so I'm actually surprised it took that long. Also, the Fifth Dawn version non-foil went from 35 to 65. Uh, again, number four card in Modern. Renzo Havoc Razor at a Conspiracy 2, 18 to 34. That's just a single printing card that sees a, a reasonable amount of EDH play. And then Calumny Garden at a World Wake foils from 11 to 22. Glimpse of Tomorrow decks run it as a four of Black Green Sacrifice decks run it. Shows up in the smattering of other decks in the format. And hasn't seen a reprint in foil in quite some time. 
Mm-hmm. Granzo is also showing up in Prosper. Um, I don't think he's quite as heavily played there as some of the other choices are, but for a, yeah, the single printing conspiracy too, which I think was kind of a shallower pick uh, to suddenly get a little bit of action. Didn't probably didn't take much to move the needle there. Yeah. Yeah. We've had multiple, multiple copies of Calvin Garden, but only the one foil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's card has shown up in a million commander products and basically never gotten another foil reprint. We've got Jessica's Will out of Commander Legends from just last November. Foils going from 18 to 36. That was, uh, there was a lot of big talk about investing in that card last fall, and it paid out really fast and then went quiet for a little while as the inventory filled in and we hit peak supply. And now we are headed back to the pretty much all versions of this card being worth very solid money. And people are talking about Commander Legends booster boxes in favorable tones again because you can still pick those up in and around 100 to 115 and you pull a jessica's will out of that it might be 30 bucks of the box just for a rare mm-hmm. yeah jessica's will i've actually looked at a couple times and i don't i don't remember if i've actually made it a pick on the cast or not i think i, I think one of us did but i have looked at it a couple times like recently and kind of wondered if i was supposed to be making a move on it i haven't but it, it, it's something i've had my eye on um now I'm biting my, kicking myself because apparently I would have been right to pick it for 15 bucks. Although this appears to be the pack foil, not the extended art foil. And I definitely would have picked the extended art. One. I mean, that one's still, that one's already way up there as well. The, yeah, the re- one of the reasons that those booster boxes of the set are a little under the radar is that nobody can calculate the EV of them accurately because of the slot that has the etched commanders that we never had enough info on to know what the drop rates are so you can, you can get mm. pretty close in estimating it but you won't be dead on hmm well i mean if if, if you're 95 percent of the way there without that drop then it seems like you might as well just do it and the etch foil is just bonus risen reef out of m20 foils from four to ten my pick last week was i think six to 16 or something um, and it did show a little motion. Uh, it was already in motion before the pick and probably picked up a little momentum uh, off the pick. Elemental's deck still doing well in modern. Flame kit. Some nice little nice little motion. Uh, motion in the ocean. Uh, motion in the ocean, yeah. Thank you. Goddamn. <laughs> Flamekin <laughs> Harbinger at a plane chase. Uh, non foil 7 to 18. I, can, I sold out of those this week uh, for modern elementals. Um, mm-hmm. Smallpox out of Time Spiral Remastered foil. 4 to 14. I think on the back of a smattering of 5-0s in Modern over the last couple of weeks, uh, the smallpox decks and people probably realizing that uh, the TSPR print run was not that large, so it's not that hard to corner one of those cards. Smallpox from TSPR foils currently at... Non-foils are just 30 cents plus shipping. But the foils have one listing. <laughs> so somebody went real hard at those. I, there's no way I attribute that to natural demand. So smallpox is a uh, has long been sort of a joke in modern. Not that it was it's bad and has never been good, but just it was like, oh, they printed another card with a black mana symbol. I bet smallpox is good now. Uh, I'm just constantly going back to the well to try and get there. Um has yet to become a, a fit force in the format, though. 
I put you this way: Chalice of the Void, one of the top five cards in the modern format, and near mint copies of that are seventy-one listings. So you're going to have trouble convincing me that smallpox foils was natural appetite. Yeah. Yep. I agree with you. I, I don't read Reddit, but there's probably a Reddit post where a guy's like, I'm 500 copies deep on smallpox and I'm brilliant and you're all fools. <laughs> uh, another terminate again. Uh, this time the pl- plane shift. Is that what we decided PLS yeah, is? The, I just lost track. Of yeah. This the point. foil plane plane shift. Yes. Plane shift. Uh oh yes. Plane, plane shift or planescape? Plane that no, that's planescape because mm-hmm. plane it wasn't in plane shift. Planescape was the original printing for that actually, um, and the only foil old border version of that card. So that makes sense. Um, just like the other one, probably from uh, Prosper. Uh, and then finishing off the week with terminate or I uh, know. <laughs> I, I'm tired, by the way. When we started this cast, I told James I was pretty tired tonight. Uh, if you couldn't tell, uh, dress down, which has seen a sudden surge in popularity in modern. And I did my research on this one before the cast because I wanted to know what the heck this was and how this worked. But the idea is that if you have dress down in play, which is uh, a two mana enchantment with flash that creatures have no abilities, you flash down, dress down, and then you cast thing in the ice. Thing in the Ice will come into play with no counters. So at the end of the turn, you have to sacrifice Dress Down. Now you have a counterless Thing in the Ice that will flip as soon as you cast one spell. Um, so it basically is a shortcut to flipping your Thing in the Ice. Uh, and I guess this is partially... You're saying modern. Is this... Um, I saw a reference to Pioneer too, but that might have been crossing signals there. So it can't be played in Pioneer because it's MH2 card. The... Um, but the, there's two main decks. Aspiring Spike went 13-2 and two today with the Thing in the Ice brew. Um, but over the weekend, it was more about a Death Shadow brew, because this turns your Death Shadow into an instant 13-13. Dr- Dress Down takes away all, the, basically the whole text box for every creature. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, you cast it, and while Dress Down is in play, it's a 13-13. Yep. But then when it dies, or when you lose Dress Down, it reverts. But even still, it's cute that you can... Yeah, you get a, a free swing at 13-13 early in the game. You draw a card. And it's got a bunch... I, I don't think that would be enough, like, either the Thing in the Ice thing or the, um, the Death Shadow interaction. But there's a bunch of other creatures that have downsides that this does things with. And there's a bunch of creatures your opponents are going to be playing that this does things with. So this thing has flash. So you could like, so if they attack you with Ragavan and you got nothing else going on, you can negate Ragavan's upside and just take two. You can uh, turn off uh, opposing uh, creatures such as Urza Saga construct tokens and kill them instantly because they won't have the plus one plus one for artifacts bonus. So they'll be zero. Mm-hmm. They'll be zero zeros and just get cleared off the table. Um, mm-hmm. And so, vi- poster child for underestimated card from MH two. But for any of us that were opening collector booster boxes, bring it on! Like you have three or four of these one dollar cards that are going to turn into five dollar cards, and the foils are going to turn into twenty dollar cards, and those CBs just get real juicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the dress down is a is a cute card, um, and it's one of those cards that is not going to seem that 
important when you just read it, but it's one of those cards that real sneaky has a lot of added value that isn't obvious on the surface, which is cool. Like it's cool to have those types of cards um, that do more for you than you might think about at first glance. Because there's other creatures in the format, you know, the evoke, the, the cycle of five evoke creatures that are all seeing play in, in modern from MH2 comes to mind where they have to give up card advantage to pull one over on you. And they're mm-hmm. actually counting on the creature to die in that case. Like, they're just doing it for the effect. So if they fury and discard or exile a red card, they're not trying to keep the fury in play. They're hoping it's going to die. So well, so with, yeah, with it on the stack, <laughs> you can dress down, and their creature's going to come into play. And in that case, they would get to keep it, but they wouldn't get the effect, right? Well, so if you put dress down into play, like, if your opponent casts... Your opponent, really, if you get them, they evoke Fury by exiling a red card from their hand and they put Fury on the stack. You then flash and dress down in response. Their Fury comes into play and does no effect. And I think they would... I'd have to check the Oracle They they probably keep it, right? Because it's got no... I think so, because I think Evoke says it comes into play with, at the end of turn, sacrifice this creature. So they exile the card from their hand, and then they end up with a Fury in play, but no come in the battlefield effect. Um, so you deny them the trigger, and they get to keep the creature, which is a mixed, probably a mixed bag overall, because they did exile a card and pay no mana and get to keep this 3-3 double strike in play. I'm not, I'm not 100% on how that works because I'm not sure what happens with the evoke, like where the memory of the evoke portion yeah. of the I, I, of the cost yeah. goes. Yep. Because it's not on the stack, right? So uh, is it a state-based effect? N- I have no idea. No, I, th- I think it's the creature gains it, which, which is w- would make it, which would prevent, which would mean that uh, where I where to go? Dress down would prevent it from leaving play. I think it would essentially suppress the evoke trigger once it was in play. I'm sure you know a couple people on the podcast. All of them are listening and getting very angry that we're getting this wrong. <laughs> we do have judges in the Discord that I'm sure will correct us quickly. <laughs> yeah, as God is my witness, I will never look up anything while we record. I have to do it all off the cuff, and I can never correct myself. <laughs> the bottom line is Dress Down does way more than you think it does at first glance, and the feedback on it's been good. It hasn't been talked about as, a, oh, I tried this, but I'll probably cut it for something else. It's been talked about as being like a pivotal point part of the decks in question. And if they're experimenting with Thing in the Ice today, they'll probably figure something else out to do with it down the road. So I think I think I'm a seller of foils. I just want to test this, you know, test the waters right now. Uh, we have the, in theory, the pack foil version of Dress Down, which I think is the best one because the art is strong and the sketch art is not. Um, going from four to eighteen, one of the reasons for that is you can only pull those out of draft and set boosters. You can't get them out of collector booster boxes. You only get the sketch versions out of there. So, so sorry, the printed rules text on the cards say you may cast this spell for its evoke cost if you do it is sacrificed when it enters the battlefield so they might actually lose the the evoke creature i mean if that's true that's just awesome yeah yeah i mean that's the best of all worlds (laughs) because they 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 actually you basically two 
you three for one them because you're drawing a card off dress down they exiled the card to fury and the fury's lost that would be crazy yeah that is that is currently my interpretation of that but but yeah, somebody somebody will yell at us and and figure it out shortly yeah the top magic online movers of the week have a lot of the same things going on blood gassed out of dk uh dark ascension from 0.88 ticks to 1.81 that's a 105% change. That's the Dredge decks doing decently in Modern this week. Merktide Regent uh, constantly being played and not being drafted as much. So $21 to start the week and finish closer to 44 tickets. Uh, 21 tickets to 44 tickets. 106% gains. Uh, Giralf's Messenger is probably getting a bump from forthcoming Innistrad stuff. And it's still played in the green-black sacrifice decks in Modern. 0.75 ticks to 1.56, 108%. Counterbalance out of Cold Snap, 0.63 to 1.56 ticks. Not sure why that's up, but I'm assuming it probably did well in Legacy this week. Dress Down, uh, the aforementioned, 0.72 ticks to 2.68, 272% gains on that if you were moving quickly when the list started to drop. Okay. Interesting stuff. Uh, cards to Watch, segment three. I did notice that uh, all th- the thing is the first time all three cards that you picked this week I looked at and like at least was aware of and briefly thought about and I didn't like dig into them but I'm like I checked I looked at all three of these cards today and in all fairness people have been talking about these cards on social media along with lots of other MH2 stuff in our discord for sure the the first pick here at least partial credit goes to Jay Temkin in our discord who came at me with Dothy Voidwalker Retroframe Non-Foil. Now, I didn't pick that because I already had this other one written down. I considered switching to his and switching mine to something else, but ultimately decided I think I my take on it was more correct because you got 200-plus listings on the old border... Uh, sorry, no, we're down. We're at a, about a hundred listings on the old border near Mint, and they are sitting around fifteen dollars. And I think he was saying like within a year, fifteen to thirty or something like that. And he quoted a lot of the same stats and sources I would normally use, um, looking at the play pattern uh, on Magic Online, vis-a-vis Modern, on Goldfish, checking EDH rec stats, etc. And so we're in agreement on all of that because it's the twenty-third most played Modern creature at the moment. It's in 5,000 EDH rec decks all, all, uh, already. 12% of all black decks are running it. However, even if we look at the foil retro, uh, foil retros are at, let me just see. And I think they are the preferred version, but I, I'm not convinced that they are the correct play here. We have foil retros at about the same number of listings as the non-foils, 97 versus 99, and they're sitting at about $19. Will they double? Yes, they're probably fine if you want to go that route, but I think that the extended art foils are the better go. The reason for that is there's nothing wrong with FEAs. We know foil extended art sell. So there being something even better than a foil extended art, if that's what you think Retrofame is, A, I think only is going to be true of older, more enfranchised players from that remember the old border and, and, and assign some amount of nostalgia to it. I would imagine for newer players, it's hit or miss. Like you could pick, if you ran a survey of 100 players that started in the last five years and asked them which border they like better, I bet you'd get just us 
anything from 70-30 to a 50-50 split, and I have no idea in which direction it would lean. The other thing that's even more important than all that is that you can only get the foil extended arts out of the collector booster boxes, but you can get the old border foils out of the other draft and set booster boxes. Now, at a lower drop rate, yes, that's true, but they're going to be opened all year, whereas the collector boosters have largely fallen off the, the market for the most part, and the vast majority of those that are going to be opened have already been opened, because people need to remember it's only the Modern Horizon 1 Redux cards that are only available in the CBs in retroframe foil the for the cards that are new to, to modern in mh2 like dothy voidwalker they show up in all three boxes so foil extended art dothy voidwalker is down to 55 listings already which is a very healthy number for some where, a period where we should basically be at peak supply and yet there's only 55 listings there's no big walls some vendors have three copies, four copies. MGG Mint Card, big vendor out of Asia, has eight copies at $25. But you can still pick up copies lying around here, eBay, and some vendors are around the world in the anywhere from $14 to $17 range. I'm going to call them to go 16 to 35 in 6 to 12 months. Okay, so we're talking, you've, you've got this marked as just the pack foil on the sheet. Yeah, it's meant to be the foil extended art. Okay, I just wanted to double check, make triple check there. So the foil extended art Dothy Voidwalkers is sixteen bucks. Yeah, I, I kid you not, I had this open uh, on my computer earlier, um, and I was comparing it with another card that uh, I'm going to talk about. And but I do think it is a very solid pick. It's, uh, I mean, for all the, the for all the reasons you outlined, I think the numbers look very good. Uh, it's very popular. In, in EDH for sure, and will continue to be so um, going forward, reasonable and modern. And, I, you know, the retro frames, I, I'm I'm of two, two minds on the retro frames. I really like them, and I think they will be appealing for a lot of players. But I also respect that the foils and the darts are probably um, more popular on a wider frame than... Uh, that the, ex the extended arts are more popular with more players than the retro frames are. And I'm not upset about it. Not too upset about it. <laughs> but I think that's probably the case. Um, the well, so the other card, the the card that I looked at that's very similar to this is uh, Shardless Agent, the the borderless foil Shardless Agents. Uh, now that's different than the extended art, um, but. The, and, and that's and, and there's a and there is a big differentiation to make there. Yes, because because the borderless is a showcase. It's available in all three boxes, although at a lower drop rate. Whereas again, the extended arts are not. Right, which is very relevant. Um, my 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 intention thinking behind Charlotte's agent is that it's currently the 14th most played creature in modern. So it's quite popular there. Usually played uh, as a four of. If you're going to play one, you probably want all four. Uh, I expect this to be essentially a permanent fixture in modern for as long as it's legal. Um, I just, I don't see this not being at least tier two almost all the time. Uh, it's just, it has basically never left relevancy in legacy. And I think modern's going to be basically the same thing. It will wax and wane based on kind of what they print in metagames, but it will always be useful. Uh, so I think people, almost everyone is going to end up with a play set of this at some point. 
Uh, it's also got a really good price supply ratio within the context of like borderless foil modern horizons two rares uh we have at the moment 63 vendors for the foil so a touch on you know a little on the lower side but you know again compared to uh the other modern horizons two borderless foils but um what the appeal here is it's six bucks. You know, the Dothy F- F- Voidwalkers are 16, which is still, a, which is a good target. But with the, the Shardless Agents being in three boxes, they're $6. They're just so cheap. Uh, and I really don't think these are going to stay under 10 or $15. Um, it might take a year-ish to get there. Um, but, and, you know, 60-ish vendors, no one's got a huge wall. If memory serves, I think like seven or eight is roughly the most of anyone on TCG Player right now. So popular. Uh, not a huge EDH card, but in this case, I don't think that matters all that much. Um, so that's that's my thinking on Shardless Agent. I'm very surprised to see the a borderless rare down under 65 listings already and no really major walls. The, this one's going to get there for sure. It was inevitable they would end up on the cast, and I think like the timing is pretty solid here. The It does hinge somewhat on how well Shardless Footfalls keeps doing in Modern, because I'm not convinced Legacy is really is going to move a ton of copies. But Shardless Footfalls has been a persistent thorn in the side of the meta for many weeks now. Um, and so far, so good. And they could all, even if that fell off the radar... Re- the Cascade cards have proven their power level in Modern again and again and again. Because mm-hmm. anytime they give us anything you can cast for free that they haven't rules out of existence, everybody picks them back up and goes, oh yeah, Shardless Agent, Violet Outburst, etc. I want to cast a Living End. I want to cast an Ancestral Vision. I want to cast Crashing Footfalls. I want to get my Glimpse of Tomorrow going, etc., etc. And they just always get built around. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's those that cascade cards, man. Just keep doing work and doing work and doing work. So speaking of EDH super staples from MH2 that have a re- very reasonable amount of listings, how about tireless provisioner? We just saw it show up in that modern deck. This card is a lot going for it. It's in a tremendous amount of EDH EDH decks already. Uh, from Modern Horizons two, it's in something like. Uh, Oh, I keep skipping past it. Uh, I think I had it clocked at 3,400 EDH rec so far, 13% of all green decks since it was printed a couple months ago. And it sees a smattering of modern play. And the deal here is that we're heading into Innistrad, where we're almost certainly going to get an investigate and more clue tokens. And this thing interacts with the decks that want to be leveraging tokens and doing nasty things with them, duplicating them, and then turning them into other things and what have you in EDH. You can currently get this foil for under $3 in the U.S., and it's pretty similar overseas. Um, I think 3 to $10 in an, on a 12 to 6 month hori- 16-month horizon is probably pretty solid. It is an uncommon, and you pull a lot of these out of uh, MH2 CBs, but we're already down under under 80 listings which is very impressive given peak supply and there aren't really huge walls sitting around on tcg player there will be copies of this that will be open throughout the year 
but it's not a card I see them reprinting in foil anytime soon. So I think this is a longer play, but CK is already offering a buck sixty credit for them. So going to be hard to go too wrong here. Yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, this is interesting. Um, certainly, some play in modern era in EDH here. Um, and I mean, landfall decks will probably always be kind of interested in this, uh, at least consider it uh, a food or a treasure token on every landfall trigger is going to be pretty, uh, pretty tasty. Um, $3 foils a 10. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good spot to be in on. You know, if these were like a dollar, that's the type of thing that's like, ah, uh, I'm going to pay a buck for them. And then I'm going to buy a list them at two fifty, and it's kind of annoying, but buying them at three means you're looking to get out. You know, like you said, at high single digits, low double digits, which is a lot better, you know, rate of return on your time. Um, so it's in a pretty sweet spot there. I supply is probably like what what did you how many copies did you say were on TCG player right now? It's like seventy two listings or something. That's not that's actually pretty low for an uncommon. I mean the shardless agents were like sixty vendors. Yeah. Sixty three. So And I'll and, and I'll I'll connect the dots here because our pro trader pick of the week is academy manufacturer extended art <laughs> uh foils from mh2 and these two cards love each other academy manufacturer recommended by joaneth um winner of a 25 dollar gift certificate from our lovely sponsor cool stuff inc um is a one three for three mana that says if you would create a clue food or treasure token instead create one of each so if you have both of these cards on the table at the same time and you have a landfall trigger then you get a clue, food, and treasure token. Then you sack that fetch land, and you have two clues, two food, and two treasure tokens. Here's what I've learned. This card has a confusing spelling. It is not Academy Manufacturer. Yes. It is Academy Manufactor. Yeah. Which true. means no one is ever going to get this right the first time they type it into Scryfall. Yeah, so I'll tell you, if you're, if you're setting up your SEO on that, you're going to want to have the, the my miss pronunciation slash misspelling yeah uh but i agree completely in fact i i i had meant to look this card up and i think honestly the reason i didn't is i forgot what the name of it was and i was looking at something else so i didn't end up typing it in but this was floating around in the back of my head as a card to go check out six bucks for these extended art foils is probably probably very good because i think these are gonna end up quite popular um everyone who builds a treasure deck or a clue deck or a food deck is going to buy one of these. Uh, yeah, and, I'm, I'm on board with it. This is, this is one of the listener picks I think I have most been on board with. And here's the thing. So Academy, Manufa- Academy Manufactor is not just, uh, it's just not powerful. It's uh, unique in its effect, but not narrow in its application. And that's a big deal. What I mean by that is that, yeah, it only interacts with those tokens, but Wizards keeps printing a crap ton of those tokens. So they're basically evergreen. And there aren't a lot of cards that do what this does. The other side of this is we talked about how, oh, look at these. These are pretty good. 60, 70, 80 listings. Well, this one's down to 33 listings at peak supply. So... We're probably not at peak supply for some of this stuff. We're past peak supply because I guarantee you opening weekend was a lot higher than 33 listings. <laughs> but but again, the foil extended arts, they only come out of the CBs and the, the slot that they share in foil is shared with a bunch of other treatments. So you don't get that many of them out of a CB box 
and it shows like they're they're drying up fast for the good cards so both both of these look very very good to me i think if i had to choose one or the other i think the academy manufacturer is clearly better because it's a higher rarity there's less of them on tcg player and the price tag is only double but they're probably both headed for 15 to 20 and manufacturer may end up being a 40 or 50 dollar foil foil extended art before anybody ever thinks to reprint it yeah i really like that pick that's a very good pick very good job all right uh, so uh, what was what was your other selection uh my other pick is force of vigor this is the uh instant from modern horizons one uh, if it's not your turn, you can exile a green spell to cast it instead, and it's destroy up the two artifacts and or enchantments. Uh, this is a Modern Horizons 1 retro frame out of Modern Horizons 2, uh, which is so it's one of those weird ones. Uh, it is in 19,000 EDH rec decks, so quite popular in that format. Uh, yep. It is the seventh most played spell in EDH right now, or I'm sorry, in Modern uh is that seventh yeah seventh most played spell uh which i kind of did a double take but i think everyone's playing it in their sideboards um and there are only 17 vendors for these retro frame foils which is way below what almost everything else is sitting at in terms of retro frames from modern horizons it seems to be way more popular uh, now you're going to pay like 25 bucks for a copy of these. So they're not cheap. They're not cheap, cheap. But I do think these are going to be 45 or $50 cards uh, before much longer, just because they have are clearly very popular um, in two the two biggest formats. So uh, people are playing the card and I think you're going to be pretty happy to pay $24 for these. Force of Vigor is a slam dunk. I was certain we had called it recently, but I don't see it anywhere on the list. So it must have just been discussed in the Discord. Um, to me, it's, it's for sure getting there. Like, what do you say, 17 listings? Uh, yeah. MH, 17 MH, vendors, yeah. MH2 CB exclusive cards are draining real fast. That's the lesson this week. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I, like, I Like, really fast. Yeah. I make sure to check now. Every time I have a pick, if I go, hmm, I make sure to look it up first just to see if we had talked about it. I'm very curious whether the incoming wave of MH2CBs in Europe is also going to land anywhere else. Because if it doesn't, those CBs are plenty tempting to get in on again. Hmm. Yeah. Go for it. I could see that. I could see that. They. I mean, your worst case scenario, even right now, is that you tend to pull foil etched misty rainforest a old border foil arid mesa you pull some dothy void walkers and some ignoble hierarchs you pull some furies and some subtleties and some yavamayas like this is an insanely deep set like if i've learned anything in the last month it's that mh2 is absolutely deeper than mh1 it's just it's just the truth i don't even think it's debatable there's more cards affecting EDH, more cards affecting Modern, even Legacy, than there was from MH1. We haven't had a Hogak level event yet, but that just means they tune, fine-tuned the power level. <laughs> a Hogak level event. Because <laughs> pe- people thought, like, Ragavan or Urza Saga might catch an early ban. Doesn't look like it. 
they're, they're very, very strong cards, but they haven't upturned the apple cart. The format is diverse and, and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, it is a little surprising how long that those have held off. I guess it's not that it's gone poorly, uh, or I should say it's not that they they haven't performed quite as wildly, I think, as consistently as maybe people thought they were. So it looks like they're going to end up making it out with their heads intact, at least for the time being. Let's put it this way. I just bought... While we were talking, four foil Doffy Voidwalker extended arts. I bought a smattering <laughs> of Academy manufacturers, some shardless agents, and the thing I was buying a few days ago was prismatic ending retro frame foils. Any and all of the above, you're going to have trouble going wrong. Okay, so all, all sorts of some picks this week here. Tasty morsels, as it were. Did you, uh, okay, did you talk about all three of yours? Did we get through? We didn't, yep. we okay no did you t- you talked about your last one? Oh yeah 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 sorry here's the other tasty morsel fit for a vampire wedding that was my transition I was going for endurance borderless uh, foils they're basically sold out like we're late to this party you could get these as low as I think somewhere between 38 and 45 dollars early on now the cheapest you can get them is 60 bucks or so and I think the listings are down to 13. And this, this one's not limited to the uh, collector boosters. This one you can find as a showcase. So you can find these in uh, set and draft booster boxes. But because it's a mythic showcase foil, they're pretty hard to pull out of there. And as a result, it is the... Uh, might surprise people to know, it's the second most played creature in Modern currently, and the first in Legacy. It's first in Legacy? Yeah. My, so minor smattering in EDH, notwithstanding, that's not really what's going on here. It's just a competitive superstar. Um, and pretty impressive how well most of these uh, evoke creatures have done from this five mythic cycle. These boxes, even if you just look at the fetch lands plus the elemental incarnations, these boxes have a lot going on. There, there were not 10 mythics in MH1 that were this desirable. Nope. Now, these so, boxes have been... Uh, Modern Horizons 2 really does seem like it hit a lot of the right notes. Yeah. So thirteen. Well. we're down to just 13 listings, the lowest of anything we talked about today. You're paying a steep 60 bucks, but where are these going to go but 100 plus? Like you're not going to be able to re you're not going to be able to restock these faster than they get they get sold at this point. We're yeah. way past we're way past the mass cracking. This is um I I mean the play pattern on this is obviously very impressive. I I'm like mildly concerned that they do a series of these as like a secret layer or they reprint them again somewhere like the, the incarnation cycle. Like I, you know, if if we ended up getting some sort of full art or borderless set of these incarnations, I don't think there'd be a major premium for the original foil in the way we see with some of the other stuff. It, it seems unlikely, given that they've already given us a fancy treatment right now that's still in print, ostensibly. And over in Europe, these are already 75 US plus. So there's no help there. Yeah. Japan Japan's also way up there. So this is just a really strong creature that 
has posted up as very you know one of the top three creatures in two of the most important competitive formats and also will show up in cubes and whatever like the like the evoke creatures will find home homes and casual and cube decks and collectors will just need them to finish sets 13 listings is real real low so if you want them get them because i don't see this reversing course down to 40 no no i i would agree with that it's one of those things where it's like they are uh i'm just with at that price point i am like mildly worried about some form of other reprint uh, just because you're 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 really along for the ride when you're buying it at sixty, um, but I can't re- come up with an an explanation of where I think you would be in danger in the next six months to a year. Um, I mean, maybe there is a reprint of these in some extra product, but who knows when that's going to be? So, uh, yeah, I I think I think I'll uh, it, it would it'll probably work. I think it'll probably work uh, just for the sole reason that like we just where else are you really going to see these show up anytime in the near future? Yep. All right, so let's take a look at some of these Innistrad Midnight Hunt spoilers for those that uh, haven't been keeping track or just feel completely overwhelmed by the magic product schedule. We did get two or three weeks there where they weren't talking at us about the next thing they wanted us to buy with our monies. Yeah. There was two um, weeks where, uh, or no one, there were no new magic cards. We, we, we did. Yeah. The, the discord talked about our dogs and our pets and planned trips, camping and so forth. But now we're back on our A game. Innistrad midnight hunt, uh, is going to be quickly followed by crimson vow believe that's true i don't Um, don't look to me so the basically it's two innistrad sets one late september and then another in november and that november set would normally have been in january so the big question mark is what is about to be revealed and i think we have a reveal session coming up in the next week or two where they're going to tell us all the stuff they're publishing next year so we should find out pretty quickly here why it was that they felt the need to move that set into the fall. Now, it's entirely possible. It's just no more complicated than Watsy being like, hey, money. We get more of that if we move that set forward a little. But it's also possible that it's that plus they have something special planned for Q1. So we should hear more about that soon. Um, for now, we've just got the first round of spoilers that they released last week um, to mull over. I guess one of the first ones that's were, that's pretty noticeable or notable here is Renin 7, a card that had been leaked as far back as November of 2020. And there was some discussion as to whether it was going to show up in Modern Horizons 2. It didn't, but it is, is in fact, in the next set thereafter. I, I have to say, I don't know what the spoiler looked like in November of last year, but if they said, guys, there's going to be a card called Renin 7, I <laughs> I would not give that a lot of credit as a good spoiler. Like, <laughs> Well, no, no, no. This this was a series of spoilers posted to Reddit, and it's been almost bang on accurate. Like, they nailed six or seven things that showed up in, in Modern Horizons 2 almost to a T. Gotcha. And the Renin 7 thing was said to be landfall-related, and it is. Um, sort of. The five mana, five loyalty, Ren and seven. And it's seven instead of six because Ren is the planeswalker and she bonds parasitically with tree folk, apparently. So she goes through them, like wears them out, and then gets a new car. So she's on to seven. Plus one is reveal the top four cards of your library, put all land cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. 
For zero loyalty, you can put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. For minus three, you create a green tree folk creature token with reach, and this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. And then minus eight is return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. Yeah, rain, it's not bad here. Um, I mean, the five mana co- cost is is scary. Planeswalkers have to be very good and standard for five mana to work there. Uh, Planeswalkers in modern have to either be three mana or seven. Uh, so an interesting card here, but I'm not holding my breath of it being particularly important in either format. Uh, but maybe, maybe they have gotten better at making Planeswalkers better outside of the three to four mana casting cost range it's got a lot of powerful things going on it does cost a lot um it's probably a solid edh card but i don't expect it to be a a massive s tier staple uh the decks that are looking to fool around with lands already have so much to work with yeah yeah you are not you are not in uh struggling to get to 99 when you're building get rog and stuff like that i mean the ability to dump all of the card all the lands in your hand in the play can be pretty potent depending on what turn you pull it off um especially if you manage to you know have a turn where you draw 15 cards and then you get to put seven lands in the play but yeah i'm just i don't see it being a huge deal in that format the tree folk token isn't super relevant there uh, I mean, the ultimate's fine, but the ultimates on Planeswalkers are always fine. They showed off uh, a bit of a home run, Champion of the Perished, yeah. instead of Champion of the Perished. That is, boy, they must have been excited when they realized they had that at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, one- I, I think that when that card was done in Innistrad, somebody wrote that down, and sitting in their... Uh, their design file somewhere they're like we are going to print this at some point when we go back to Innistrad because uh, it's just too good too good so one one for one black zombie champion of the parish whenever another zombie enters the battlefield under your control put a plus one plus one counter on champion of the parish fabulous strong zombie card you're gonna need a few more of those before your zombie deck can come anywhere near to being good enough in modern i mean merfolk's major advantage is that they can sometimes just make it impossible for you to block them. So they're swinging for 12 and the game's over. The zombie decks have a little more trouble with that. And they would need a couple of evasive cards minimum, and probably a really good like multiple card discard spell, like a Him to Turok variant that was slightly above curve um, to really get it there, I would think. So far, I, I wouldn't hold out hope, but we'll see what they give us over these next two sets. I mean, we are getting double Innistrad action. It's like double rainbow. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's, the, the, that card is, is potent. Uh, I think it's easier for that to be more potent than is observed at first glance. I remember Champion of the Parish was quite good, um, better than I think a lot of initial expectations were. But, I mean, yeah, Modern is a pretty high bar these days. The... I will touch on these two really quick. Play with fire is, um, I think, just a strict upgrade the shock. Yep. Right, just straight up better shock. Uh, so that's just interesting. Um, Mostly relevant and standard, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shock's not super relevant in other places, but just interesting to point out that that 
shock is just completely passed now. Uh, Infernal Grasp, also extremely strong black removal. Two mana instant, destroy a creature, and you lose two life. Um, I mean, that's up there for the best two mana black removal spell that exists. Those EDH, those EDH will drive those foils to eventually being worth money. Yes, yeah. If they don't reprint them fast enough, for sure. Because uh, spot removal... I Well, well, okay. Yes, except they are um they only hit creatures and a lot of the point removal in edh tends to be permanent right like uh what's the black white one the three mana one where he's zapping abyssin vindicate uh well vindicate um or anguish unmaking that's the one thank you anguish unmaking like they tend to hit permanent it's not just creatures and yet, Doomblade is an 11,000 decks, 4% of all black decks on ADH rec, and this is a strict upgrade. Yeah, well... Yeah, because the life is is way better than the non-black clause. True. I, I agree completely. It's not a strict upgrade, but it is definitely better. Um, but well, the, in, the, in the context of EDH. Yeah. The card that jumped out at me, actually, was Triskaidekaphile. So... Long-time players will remember Triskaidekaphobia, which is a fear of the number 13 that was printed at Innistrad. We now get Triskaidekaphile, which is some woman who's insane and loves the number 13. And I'm sure there's a million references to it in the art again here. But this is a two-mana creature. You have no maximum hand size. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have exactly 13 cards in your hand, you win the game. Uh, that is a very to me this looks a little like das's oracle i have not found the combo yet but i know it's there there's to be i mean i the answer someone's gonna say oh it's a necropotence like good job you figured out how to break necropotence but i think that there is a card out there that is a one-two punch with triska deck of file that might be modern playable and even if that's not true in EDH, there's a million ways to end up with 13 cards in your hand. That's why people want the no maximum hand size clause on artifacts and lands mm-hmm. that are very popular. So, the, and, and this is one of those innocuous threats where when you play it, somebody might look at the Path to Exile in their hand and go, well, I'm going to have to kill it at some point. But there's other problems that are bigger right now. And they're going to hand check you and you're going to have six cards in hand and they're going to be like, I'll deal with it later. And then you're going to do some series of things. Somebody's going to go, I've got the point removal for it. You're going to counter it and end up with 13 cards in your hand at the end of that turn and win. And the fact that this has built in draw a card for four mana means that if they leave it alone for too long, it does the job by itself, which is, this is nice. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's definitely useful in EDH and people will play it in that format because they want the instant, in, instant win condition and like, that's fine, whatever. I'm I'm saying this card catches my attention because I think it has a, the an outside chance of being a, a competitive level combo. It, you know what it is? It, it rings the same bell. Like I remember when, um, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, when Vampire Hexmage was spoiled. And I remember looking at that card and going, wow, that works really well with Dark Depths and then moving on with my life. And that was before I realized that I should have bought every Dark Depths on the internet. And sure. now I see Triskaidekaphile and I'm like, okay, where is the card? Where is the card that this pairs with? Because it's out there uh, and I can't guarantee it'll be good enough. But Thassa's Oracle's a lot better now than it was when it was spoiled. And so is the cards that work with it. And I, it's got to be out there for this. But someone will so- figure it out. 
They also showed us the basic lands, which are black and white yeah. sketch lands, and they're nice. They are going to be popular. Um, the one, the one design quibble I have is I think I would have made the color cues more subtle. I'm not, not a fan. I'm not <laughs> more a fan. subtle. <laughs> oh yeah, because I, I'm not a fan of black and white with then hypersaturated reds, purples, blues, greens, etc. Over top, I don't think that works all that well. Um, it works best on the plains because they went with plain white with none of the yellow or beige tones they often associate with white and magic yeah i so these look very nice i i genuinely like when you look at them you're like these are cool and i like to see them my eyeballs like these i think these are atrocious design because they all look the same they are so similar and the color indications are really really subtle if you're not like when you look at them on your computer monitor it's very obvious especially because you can see the icon in the bottom center of the card but when you have these horizontally stacked like most players tend to do with their lands it's going to be very hard to see especially under a sleeve with some lighting yeah the the glare in an lgs i can see how this is going to lead to hey what what lands do you got there again and you're going to have to think about it a little harder if these are present um but I, I suspect the planes number 269 is going to be very popular but if you compare it to island 271 that really makes your point drives your point home yeah i mean if you know i don't know if everyone caught it but it seems like there's a kind of the darker land and the lighter land you know they did them in pairs and if you put all of the lighter lands in your deck if you're playing like a three color deck uh like look at look at the lighter plains forest and mountain like you're playing naya you put those three and you have your land stack horizontal like people tend to do there's no possible way for your opponent to tell which one is which from across the table and one of the problems is in both the plains and the island i'm referring to 269 271 there's way too many fucking rocks and mountains like, that's a plains and an island. So why do they both have mountains in the background? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So don't get me wrong. I think if you, I think if they'd put these in a secret layer, it would have worked. It kind of would have been really cool. Like, wow, these are great. And also, it's not like you're going to see enough of these that it's a problem. But oh, they could... Go ahead. Just putting them in the standard set, like, in every single pack means there will be plentiful enough that it's it's obnoxious. Like, this is the end of the world. It's just It's just obnoxious. I think the Swamp 273 with the like haunted house action going on, that'll be popular. Um, the Mountain 275, probably reasonably so. And then the Swamp number 272 is uh, fairly exquisite in terms of the line work. Yeah, the yeah, there's a couple that stand out as being a little better. I thought the Haunted House one was a touch cartoonier than the others. Oh yeah, it's very Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo but that's like... A, it... it it makes a statement um, on table, and I think people will gravitate. I'm noticing that it looks like, yeah, it looks like all the ones by, was it Dan Manford? Mumford. Mumford. Mumford all seem to kind of have that slightly cartoonier style, which I'm not in love with. But I think, like, the one by, was it Evan Cage or something like that is really, really good. Like, his line work seems to be phenomenal. Oh yeah, the island. Yeah, that the, I think I think Evans Island is the best of the bunch so far. Yeah, it's almost like a. Uh, it reminds me of that gush. 
the oh god that famous artwork Stephen Menendian wrote a book wrote a literal ebook about how to play the card gush and he used this uh, famous piece of artwork on the cover and this reminds me of that um any case very very aesthetically pleasing lands uh i think it was a miss to, to make these uh a, a quote-unquote standard land just because they're indistinguishable from across the table. It's 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 ten dryad arbors. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, we can we'll probably have some more stuff to talk about as they drip, drip, drip the 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 uh, reveals over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but for now, where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin B U M P I N and yourself. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting and assistance in the ProTrader Discord. Also, like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Currently working on group buys for the Innistrad sets, so lots of fun stuff coming up down that road. Cool, cool. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order. And support this podcast, which has now wrapped up episode 284. Uh, so always a pleasure and looking forward to it next week. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.